1: Your host is Nick Moran, and this is The Full Ratchet.
0: Hello, everyone, and thanks for listening to the show. We are on episode five of The Full Ratchet. I'm Nick Moran, and today it's a pleasure to have George Deeb of Red Rocket Ventures on the show talking evaluation. He's an investor both on the fun side in Firestarter, as well as on the angel side making direct investments and spends most of his time working with startups that are trying to hit their growth curve and are going through the fundraising process. A quick note on the interview questions. Early on in the interview, I asked George about evaluation, i.e. how to evaluate startups for investment. I think he heard me say valuation, i.e. how to determine the dollar amount that a startup is worth. Um, Despite a little miscommunication, he took a step back and covered the evaluation piece. So... If you're a little confused at the front end of the interview, that's why, uh, but we still covered what I'd hope to. As usual, we'll talk with the guest uh, about how they got into venture, then dive into the topic with a number of questions and finish up with what they're currently working on and recommended resources. All right. This week, we are talking startup investment criteria, an intro to investor evaluation of startups. Today, we have George Deeb with us. He is an investor and managing partner of Red Rocket Ventures. George, wonderful to have you with us today.
1: I'm thrilled to be here, Nick. Thanks for the invite.
0: So I wanted to have you on the podcast to do an intro to evaluation. This is probably the deepest topic we will cover on the podcast. There are many subjects that we can get into in the venture capital world. Uh, But if you fail to evaluate startups appropriately, you're going to have some trouble. So welcome, George. Uh, I'm very excited to have you here and was hoping that we could start with a brief intro on your background and how you first got into startup investing.
1: Yeah, perfect. You know, My, my background is I'm an eight-year investment banker from Credit Suisse, turned uh, 15-year internet entrepreneur here in Chicago. I've been the founder and CEO of two different tech startups. Uh, one was iExplore, became the number one adventure travel site. We had a strategic relationship with National Geographic venture capital-backed business that was sold in 2007 uh, to a big European travel company called TUI. And then the second company was a, a B2B digital video technology business called Media Recall. And that business got sold to Deluxe in 2010. So when I sold that last business, I didn't really know what to do next. I launched Red Rocket really as a placeholder to finding my next CEO gig And it developed a life entirely of its own. I've had over 500 companies reach out to me looking for help. Many are in fundraising mode. So I'm very close to the venture capital community.
0: Wow. And that's part of the reason why I wanted George on today, because not only does he understand the investor perspective, but he's really hands-on with a lot of startups. He understands what makes them tick, what makes them work. And I think you're the perfect person to give us this intro into evaluation. So thank you. Yeah, perfect. All right. So let's launch in. First things first, give us a flavor for how evaluation works and what you should think of when you see a startup that is interesting and exciting.
1: All right. Well, let's first start with how do you look at the right business idea first, right? We'll focus on what makes a good business idea, and then we'll get into the valuation therefrom. Great. So from a business idea perspective, you know, I usually start with, you know, it all starts with a team. You know, I'd rather have an A-plus team building a B idea than a B team building an A-plus idea. So, you know, you want to look for an entrepreneur that's got the right DNA, has got the right experience and right track record to actually pull off a project like this. So that's, you know, it all starts with the team. The second thing you're looking at is how large is their industry that they're going after? Are, you know, I'll use the travel industry as an example. Are they, are they building something the scale of Expedia? That appeals to everybody and anybody that needs air, car, and hotel, or are they building a whitewater rafting business for somebody that wants to go down to the Colorado River? So, you know, I'm looking for the biggest market opportunity possible. And then with the competitive set, where are they on competition? Are they a first mover in the space with a with a lead uh, to kind of win this space? Are they a last mover? They're coming into a very crowded market with 10 other players, and how how well funded are those venture capital backed startups as well? Because you, know, you don't necessarily want to get uh, involved with somebody that's up against 50 million of venture capital that they'll have a hard time competing with their stage of development. Hmm. The, the, the other things would be around you know, what's their revenue model? How do they plan to make money? Don't necessarily need the money day one, but we got to have the foresight that there is an actual revenue play here down the road. And have they successfully tested their customer acquisition strategies to make sure that they actually have a profitable way of bringing consumer into the business? And monetizing in a profitable way in relation to the revenues. So those are those are what kind of defines a, a good business idea. Uh, your question as it relates to valuation, uh, you know, valuation is very much stage dependent. So if you took a startup's stage and and you broke it into kind of three phases, a piece of paper to product would be one stage of their development. Product to proof of concept is the second stage of their development, and then proof of concept to scale would be the third stage of their development. So where they are in that evolution, the valuation is slowly moving up at each one of those key inflection points. So somebody that might just have a piece of paper, well, maybe that business idea is a half a million or million dollar idea of where they are with just a piece of paper. If they have an up and running product, well, maybe it's a couple million dollar idea. If they've got proof of concept around that product, well, now it might be a five million dollar idea because they've actually got some traction and, and, and success around it. So You know, the way I I advise startups are for any stage in your investment curve, you should be prepared to give up 25 to 35% of your equity value uh, for that stage of the investment. As your business is growing, with each chunk of capital you're coming in, that next round of investors are going to want that same 25 or 30%.
0: And that's very helpful because in the coming weeks, we're going to be doing another show uh, that centers on the stages of financing, what happens at each stage, who plays where, and why. So, It's a good sort of starter on the topic of the stages of investing and what traction startups have at each stage. Okay. So from a first time an investor sees a startup until an investment is actually made, what are the key steps in the process?
1: You know, I think one of the mistakes an entrepreneur makes is they first approach an investor when they want the money, (laughs) right? So the best advice I can give an entrepreneur is if you know you're going to need a venture capital financing down the road, start the relationship with those target investors months earlier so that you can actually build a rapport with these guys and they can actually see your progress and see your traction. And then when you actually do need the money six months down the road, you're not an unknown commodity to them. They've been tracking you. you, you know, you're know, you known. What you said you were going to do, you've actually been doing. Right, right. So, so that, that's step one is just making sure you don't approach the investor too early. Step two would be once the investor is engaged, and and getting them engaged is more of an art than a science because in, in today's day and age, with the cost of getting businesses so low, they're seeing thousands of business ideas thrown at them in the course of a given year, where in the old days, they might have seen two or 300. So to get through that clutter, for them to get through their process, what used to be a three-month financing exercise from the time they start to the time it actually funds, has now become six months or longer just getting through the clutter and getting getting on their radar. So that's a second complexity in the story. As it relates to, okay, now you have my attention and I'm ready to start doing due diligence and I'm ready to get a financing done. You know, that process is about a three-month process.
0: Okay. And even prior to that evaluation process beginning, what are the key questions that a startup should be able to answer to just get to the evaluation stage?
1: Yeah. All right. So, you know, the first thing is, you know, oftentimes the startup is calling and they're they're very verbose in the way they're explaining their business, right? I like to think we're living in a Twitter generation. Yep. If if you can't effectively communicate your story in 140 <laughs> characters or less, uh the listener is not going to be able to digest it fast enough. So you got to make sure you understand um you know what an investor's listening for. What do you do? What problem are you solving? What is the solution to that problem? And why are you going to win? What is your what is your game plan and plan of attack to actually make that happen?
0: Yep. I've seen plenty of startups that can't articulate that or can't answer those questions, and you can't start the conversation without them.
1: Well, I mean, just, just yesterday I had an email introduction from a complete stranger. So they broke rule number one. I didn't come in as a referral to somebody mm-hmm. I know and I trust. They came in as a complete stranger, and they hit me with literally two pages of single-spaced email introduction <laughs> <laughs> and they didn't get to the introduction of their company, their concept, until the middle of the second page. It's like, what is this person thinking? They're never going to get an investor's attention this way.
0: Wow. Well, hopefully you can help some of these startups out with that at Red Rocket. Um, so at a high level, and we've touched on some of this, but what are the categories that an, an investor should consider when they're evaluating?
1: Uh, well, I mean, the first thing is that you know, an investor is trying to figure out how they're going to make a 10 times return or more yep. on their invested capital. So uh, most startups come in, and they're focusing on the fundraising from their perspective. And they're trying to figure out, you know, I need, I need this amount of money to do these uh, technology improvements or this sales team or this marketing effort or whatever it is. And it, it, the speech is all about them and what they plan on doing with the capital. What the speech needs to be is, I can turn your dollar investment into a $10 or more investment return yep. with the following sequence of events in the coming years. Uh, So you know, if if you can't clearly lay that roadmap to a 10 times or higher return, the investors just aren't going to focus, at least in this early stage space. Got
0: it. So you talked about return, uh, 10 times return. Can you give us a sense for why investors should target 10x or a 30x or a 100x? And eventually, what does the portfolio look like? So fast forward a few years, you've got an angel investor or a VC fund that has a portfolio of investments that they've made. What is the general expectation?
1: In the venture space, in the early stage community that we're kind of operating in, an investor is going to expect if they make 10 investments, one is going to be a hit, call it a material return on their investment. Uh, a couple will you know, either get their money back or, or be a, you know, a double on their money. And then the rest of them are going to go out of business. So the reason that they need to get to a 10x return for any deal that they're looking at is because they know that the, when the portfolio plays itself out, the venture capital returns are going to end up somewhere in the 40 to sixty percent a year range, understanding that many of them are going to go out of business along the way
0: yep so in general, do you subscribe to a qualitative or quantitative decision and evaluation process when it comes I, to startup?
1: I think it's a good mix of both to be honest with you now I'm a very data driven guy so I'm all about the numbers and how large is the industry and how quickly is it growing and what's the revenue model and you know, what's the cost of acquisition. So I love the data. But at the end of the day, you got to go with your gut. And sometimes your gut may override the data because you know this is a big idea. They may not be effectively communicating it or uh, they've got some challenges in the way that you can help them get through. Uh, and you got to bet on the bigger ideas with the best entrepreneurs and, and hopefully you made the right bets. Hmm.
0: You know, I read something recently that was gauging uh, sort of execution versus the brilliant idea and the power of the idea. Uh, do you have any thoughts on the balance and what's most important from your perspective when you see a startup?
1: Yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, execution is the holy grail here. The devil's in the details on how it actually goes. And the reality is things never go to plan, right? So we know that going in, that what actually happens in the next couple of years is not exactly what you think it's going to be up front. Sure. So, how well is that entrepreneur pivoting through their development? and? What are they doing to get through the potholes and the hurdles that get put in their way? So to me, execution is almost twice as important as the idea because the entrepreneur that knows how to break down those walls and build those businesses and get through it are the ones that are going to win.
0: So in my own process, I use sort of a red flag disqualifier across a range of different criteria when it comes to startups. Uh, Do you agree that there are red flags that may supersede other evaluation criteria? In other words, if a startup sets off these red flags, you're going to avoid the investment no matter how strong all the other evaluation factors are?
1: Excellent question. I think the number one red flag is how well does the entrepreneur listen, right? Because sometimes the entrepreneurs are so headstrong on their particular idea and they don't listen to any other input from the hundreds of mentors or advisors that are around them that are telling them, We've lived through these battles before. We know you're about ready to drive off the edge of the cliff. But if they put their head down and they close their ears to any input or guidance, That's usually the first red flag that an investor is going to look for, that uh, they don't want to back somebody that's not going to listen. We don't want to necessarily run their businesses. We're not here to tell them what to do, but we want to make sure that when we present some validated facts and concerns, that they've actually listened, thought about it, and tried to digest it.
0: Part of the challenge, I think, is if they can't listen to you as an investor, are they listening to their customers? Excellent. And so many startups that I've seen have success, have gone through a major pivot, or a transition or a left turn at some point. And the primary reason for that is the customer spoke to them and said, look, I prefer X instead of Y. So moving on, in general, I like to ask people this, but do you subscribe to the philosophy that you need to see a certain number of investment candidates or startups for every one placement or investment that you make?
1: I wouldn't say I have to uh, see 10 before I'll invest in one. If that one idea is a good idea and they they check off all the boxes that I'm looking for, I'll cut that check into that one company without having to see another nine. The reality is it takes 10 before you find that one that you'll actually cut the check into.
0: Yep. And uh, can you tell us what the fast no is and why it is important?
1: You don't want to waste an entrepreneur's time, right? Fundraising is a cumbersome process for the entrepreneur. And if you know you're not going to do a deal, you don't want to waste their time or yours in the process. So the sooner you can give them the bad news, the better. with the better feedback on why it's bad news for them, what are they doing wrong, what do they need to address so they can go address those issues, one, the the better it will be for their business. Two, the better it will be for their fundraising efforts so that they can prepare for that next investor and address those issues ahead of time.
0: When I first started this process about a year ago, I was meeting with and interviewing every startup that approached me or emailed me, and I quickly realized that it was such a waste of their time and my time. So fortunately, I put together a process where I can weed them out very quickly, very easily, often through email, depending on their answers to certain questions. And for them, they get clarity too on what it is they didn't fulfill, And I've had startups come back to me and say, you know, we addressed bullet B that you had an issue with, which is nice. If There's a disqualifier and they can come back and uh, make some traction on that then helps everyone involved. Okay. How does one speed up their evaluation process and make faster, more decisive decisions?
1: Well, the better prepared an entrepreneur is with their materials that an investor is going to be looking for, the faster the process will go. So if an entrepreneur is a seasoned serial entrepreneur, they've gone through this process several times, they they know the documents that someone's going to be looking for, and it's easily accessible and prepared in a format that we can digest it, then that process is going to go faster. If you're dealing with a first-time entrepreneur and they've never prepared a data room before or have never you know, gone through this process, they don't know what to expect. That When we make our first due diligence request and it's a, you know, a, a page full of bullet points of documents we're looking for and all their old contracts or whatever it is, that's going to take time for them to kind of track down all those materials. And if they, if they can prepare for that process ahead of time, it'll go much faster.
0: So good segue. Are there any recommended resources you have on evaluation uh, from the investor perspective? So anything out there that investors can look to they, to give them some baseline and some framework uh, to help them approach evaluation better?
1: Well, you know, there's so many public data resources out there today that can give you a sense to whether or not the company is heading in the right direction. So a few examples would be, if, let's say you're dealing with a consumer startup. Well, how well followed are they in Facebook or Twitter? How many fans do they have? How quickly is that fan base growing? What are those people talking about in their communication channels in, their, in the community? That's one data point. The second data point is uh, crowdfunding has become a useful tool for entrepreneurs. So if somebody goes to raise money from Kickstarter, AngelList, or Gust, or wherever it is, uh, there are communities of investors that are rallying around these ideas, and and how quickly is that community building, and how much money has already been communicated? So, you know, there's safety in numbers, right? So, if if, if you see the the tidal wave starting to develop around an idea, there's probably a pretty good idea there.
0: Interesting. Uh, can you tell us more about what you're currently up to at Red Rocket Ventures?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, Red Rocket has really got two businesses it focuses on: Red Rocket and Ensemble. I'll talk about Red Rocket first. You know, Red Rocket is bringing startup consulting, fundraising experience, and shared executives to startups. And, uh, you know, the shared executive piece is the most important because we feel they need the brain power that comes with executives like ours, uh, but they can't afford it. So, you know, if, if they wanted that brain full-time, that might be a $250,000-a-year person that they don't have the resources to afford. But if you took that executive and you split them into five parts— and he worked for five different companies on five different days of the week. You're getting access to that same brain for $50,000 that would normally have cost you 250 dollars So we're getting a lot of traction and excitement around that shared executive program. As it relates to Ensemble, we launched Ensemble as a one-stop shop digital services suite for entrepreneurs, for everything they need to strategize, fund, develop, and market their startups, powered by an all-star award-winning cast of digital agencies that have been curated down from the 100 that we interviewed to pick the five that we wanted to launch with hmm. that were pros in technology development, search engine marketing, social media marketing, public relations, you know, the things that are important for startups to kind of get them off the ground. And that's, that, that's been a very successful product for us.
0: Always a big challenge, I find, that, you know, there's a great opportunity, a good startup, but they have their weaknesses, right? Everyone has their set of strengths, and maybe it's not digital marketing, Uh, Maybe it's not SEO or SEM. And it's always hard for me to find, uh, you know, who are the good agencies or the good resources in town to fill that gap. Uh, There's plenty of people out there offering services, but it's hard to distinguish the good ones. So... Uh, nice service. I wanted to touch on your, uh, your executive service as well. Does that focus around a function or a discipline? Do you tend to deploy more financial folks, more operations folks? Uh, is it marketing focused?
1: In terms of uh, supply, we've got people that are marketers for CMO positions or technologists for CTO positions, finance guys for the CFO positions, operating guys for COO. So, you know, it doesn't really matter what the O is. We've got a network of guys that can fill those positions we tend to get our most requests around sales and marketing. Uh, Those are the areas that they're struggling with. They're trying to scale up their revenues. They don't necessarily know how to do a consumer marketing launch, or they don't know how to build a sales organization for a B2B company. So we get vast majority of our calls are for sales and marketing.
0: At this point, if you're a VC, you've heard of Carta. You've probably even accepted securities from a portfolio company on the platform. It feels like every new company is using Carta, and there's already 16,000 VC-backed companies on the platform. They also offer tools and services for VCs like fund administration. Carta has an army of fund accountants delivering high-quality service and dedicated teams of engineers, constantly improving the functionality of their user-friendly investor platform with in-app quarterly reporting, real-time fund metrics, LP portals, and more. It's also easy to switch from an existing fund administrator or to augment your in-house team with their service. Learn more about their services at carta.com forward slash investors. In this episode of TFR is brought to you by Pacific Western Bank. So I'm passionate about Chicago. I grew up out here, uh, have been moving around the country for a number of years, but found my way back about a year ago and was very pleased with the vibrant technology scene here, uh, the startup hubs that exist downtown like 1871. So I've got my opinion on it, but can you tell us what what you think of the current startup environment in this area and how it has changed.
1: You know, the biggest uh, support I can give is that I wished I had this ecosystem in 1999 when I was launching <laughs> iExplorer. Uh, the, the ecosystem is boomed in the last couple years. And, and a couple of things that have driven that. One, uh, I kind of used 2008 as an inflection point. That was the launch of Groupon. Groupon built a $2 billion company in a couple years period of time. It got a lot of other entrepreneurs excited saying, hey, listen, I want to do that too. Yeah, Built in Chicago has been tracking that a startup is launching every single day of the year. So there are hundreds, if not thousands of startups that have been launched in the last couple of years. And the ecosystem to support those startups has gotten better and better with each turn of the iteration. So you mentioned some of the shared uh, spaces like 1871 and others. TechNexus would be another. Uh, for later stage companies, there's Catapult. Uh, And and maybe some less formal structured shared office spaces like Industrious and some of these other places. So there's a way for these entrepreneurs to engage with each other. That's number one. Two, there are a bunch more events to get people engaged with each other. The Technori events, the built-in Chicago events that brings the community together where they can actually find and engage with others. The venture capitalists have uh, have gotten more aggressive in investing in earlier stage, you know, seed stage, Series A kind of money, where historically Chicago had been uh, talked about as being a Series B city. The universities are getting more organized in their entrepreneurship activities. I think a key data point to talk about is there has been a record number of Silicon Valley or coastal VC firm led transactions for Chicago based companies that did not require those companies to relocate to the coast. So there have been maybe 25 or 30 very large venture capital finances in excess of $10 million that the outside money is now coming into Chicago. They've seen the success and they realize there's a lot of great startups coming and they want to play a part of it.
0: Great to see. So if we could cover any topic in venture investing on the podcast, what topic do you think we should cover and who would you like to hear speak about it?
1: Well, you know, that's, a, that's an excellent question. I would say, I think the biggest mistake that uh, we make in the, in the startup world is the entrepreneurs are so focused on their product. Their, their website, their mobile app, whatever it is, that they really don't have the foresight to proof a concept. And as a venture investor and, 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 and a network of venture investors, proof of concept to us is almost more important than the product is. So w- somebody has got to teach the entrepreneurs to look earlier in their in their growth curve towards their sales and marketing activities. You know, the guidance I give an entrepreneur is I wouldn't invest one dollar in writing your code until you know you've raised enough money, not only to code the product but to do your initial sales and marketing tests on the back end. So you can do some test marketing with Google or Facebook or Twitter or do you know hire a sales guy and have some momentum come in from your sales process so that when you walk into that investor, you can check off all the boxes that, yes, I have growth in my visitors or revenue base. Yes, my pipeline is growing. Yes, I've got uh, the following five marketing tests that I have done. And I need money to accelerate a proven initiative instead of experimenting with something that's unknown. So that would be the topic that I would focus on. And you know I would look at some strong, proven serial entrepreneurs that have the deep experience in doing uh, uh, marketing and sales for these early-stage businesses to teach these entrepreneurs what they need to be thinking about well up front before they even get started.
0: So you've touched on this a number of times, provided some great color on it. But very simply, could you define what proof of concept is?
1: Everybody defines it a little bit different. But think of it in terms of, proving that there is customer demand around a particular idea. Maybe the website traffic is rapidly accelerating month over month. Maybe it's a a pipeline of leads is developing around a particular idea. Maybe those leads are turning into contracts. There's a bunch of customers that are signing up for a particular product. It's something that can prove to an investor that people are interested in this idea. They like it well enough to sign up for it, and the entrepreneurs are sophisticated enough to market it to get them customers that will actually cut them a check.
0: Perfect. All right. So let's finish up with, uh, for someone new to startup investing, what advice would you give them?
1: Well, you know, uh, I, I feel for all these people that are jumping into crowdfunding that have never done this before. Uh, don't invest your life savings in one idea. If you don't have a, a diversified portfolio strategy, you're, you're going to be doomed from the beginning because a startup has, typically has a one in 10 chance of success. And if you bet on, on one of the nine companies, that's not going to be the home run. You've just lost all your capital and your savings. So Make sure you know you need a, a diversified portfolio. You know, make at least 10 investments so that you know, as companies go out of business and they don't get through their proof of concept or can't continue to get their funding, that you've got enough other guys in the till that can get through that process and can achieve their scale and achieve success.
0: So what's the best way for listeners to connect with you, George?
1: Yeah, the best way is to go to our website. The Red Rocket website is redrocketvc.com. Feel free to email me. My email address is george at redrocketvc.com.
0: Excellent. So follow him on Twitter at George Deeb or check out the blog at redrocketvc.com. George, thanks for doing the podcast. Hope we can uh, connect with you again soon. Thanks, Nick. It's been great fun. All right. That concludes the interview with George Deeb. Very excited to have him on the show and share his thoughts. I wanted to cover a few key takeaways from the interview today. Uh, First, um, when considering a startup for investment, number one, it all starts with the team. George would rather have an A-plus team building a B-idea than a B-team building an A-plus idea. Uh, This is a key point that comes up time and time again as I talk with professional startup investors, and it can't be stressed enough. Uh, Number two was market. So is the startup going to have a market that is big enough to create significant opportunity? Uh, Number three was competitive set. Are there other players doing similar businesses that have strong venture capital funding? And number four was revenue model. Is there a way to monetize the business? And have they tested the customer acquisition model for revenue to ensure that there's a profitable way by which they can acquire new customers and make money doing so? Okay, the second major key takeaway uh, that George discussed were the stages of development. So he broke these out into three different stages. Number one was piece of paper to product. Number two was product to proof of concept. And number three was proof of concept to scale. Um, And depending on where you're at in the stage of development, this will determine your valuation. So often the piece of paper ideas will have a much lower valuation than a startup that has a product built and has found proof of concept in the market. And to recap this term, proof of concept, George defined it as proving that there is customer demand around a particular idea. So he mentioned having a pipeline of leads that are being converted into customers And ultimately something that proves to the investor that the customers are interested in the idea that they like it well enough to sign up and the entrepreneur is sophisticated enough to market it. All right, for the third major takeaway, we talked about what's absolutely necessary for a startup to be able to articulate before you spend time evaluating. They need to show an investor what the investor cares about, which is how much dollar return they're going to get. A startup needs to have a clear roadmap to a 10x return or higher, because the startup investor understands that they will only have a handful of successes out of every 10 investments they make. So the successes need to be large in order to make up for the losses and still provide an outsized return on the entire portfolio. In general, it seems like there's two schools of thought when it comes to this. Some angel investors dislike when startups talk about exits, i.e., eventually selling the business for a return uh, because it makes them look like they're not focused on the present and their main motivation is to make a lot of money. I can see where angels are coming from when they say that, but honestly, I think that startups discuss it because it's the expectation. Uh, You always have to know your audience. And in this case, the startup audience is an investor that needs to be confident in a 10 X plus return. So from my standpoint, there is definitely a place in the pitch for startups to discuss how the investor makes money and what they think are potential exit strategies. Okay, let's wrap up with a tip of the week. Uh, This week, I want to talk about MVP and MVC. Uh, We hear a lot of startups and investors talking about MVP, i.e. minimum viable product. Typically, the earlier a startup gets a product launched, and is able to test it in the market, the better off they are because they're constantly getting feedback and are better able to prioritize changes and improvements to the product, as well as better able to understand the purchase motivations and demographics of their target market. In general, I very much support this. However, there's a misconception in the startup world that a product is required to make a sale and test the market. Uh, In many cases, a product is not necessary And that is what is referred to as Minimum Viable Concept, or MVC. I've seen a number of companies spend an incredible amount of their own money, investor money, and time building their solution, not really knowing if it will sell once they release it into the market. There seems to be this belief in the startup world that if you build it, they will come. And while that may work in the movies, in this industry, often what's first built is not exactly what's wanted and may even attract a different target market than originally planned. So the question is, how can we test sales without real products? Well, so take, for instance, a recent startup that I saw that was pitching a men's facial grooming product. I won't be too specific on what it was, but know that it was a physical product that was a consumable So it was disposable after one-time use. And what was key in the pitch was that their only sales channel was over the internet. Uh, They were not trying to sell this via retail. um, And I think they were basing their sales model on sort of a dollar shave club, if you're familiar with that. So the founder was working with engineers on product development. He was traveling to China to meet with manufacturers. And he was a few years into developing this product. And I don't think he needed to be. MVC can be accomplished in a variety of channels, but it's particularly easy over the internet. Uh, Eventually, when he does launch this product, he's going to have to create a page on the internet, maybe with a video, and drive users to that page to see how they convert into sales. My question is, why not create the internet sales funnel up front and see how it converts now if your only channel is internet? Uh, It may not be ideal to have someone click a button that says buy now, only to land on a page that says, we're still in development, but hope to be launching soon. We will contact you when we're ready. But can you imagine how much time, effort, and money would be saved if they tested three different marketing strategies and all of them flopped? Uh, That would clearly tell him that either one, there's no market for the product, or two, his preferred channel is not going to work. Also, if the entrepreneur tests multiple different marketing strategies, they can better define the key benefits of the product and the target market that it's appropriate for. Some people may think that I'm talking about market research. Uh, Often market research is collecting purchase intent by presenting ideas and asking people how likely it is that they would buy. Now, that's different than testing sales in your market where you're making the future product available for purchase. A similar implementation of MVC is called pre-selling, where companies will offer a product at a discounted price if customers pre-buy it before the product has been developed or completed. You've probably seen some of these on Amazon before. And this is one of the reasons why I like consumer companies that have launched a Kickstarter or Indiegogo campaign successfully. Uh, George mentioned this earlier, but these platforms are a great way to assess market adoption before the entrepreneur has actually done anything. Uh, This is another way to test MVC or proof of concept before exhausting a ton of money on your MVP. And if you're a startup trying to raise money to build a product, what better pitch can you have than showing investors that you have real data on your target market, you know how to position and message your product, and it's so compelling that you can sell it for profit before actually having the product built. Okay, that's it for today. Give me a follow on Twitter at the Full Ratchet. Check out the blog for show notes and links discussed on the podcast over at fullratchet.net, and sign up for the newsletter, either on the website or by emailing newsletter at fullratchet.net. Next week, we've got Charlie O'Donnell from Brooklyn Bridge Ventures in New York on the podcast. He's a big-time alum of Union Square Ventures and First Round Capital, and we will be talking deal flow, so how investors find startups to invest in. Okay, until next time, over-prepare, choose carefully, and invest confidently. Thanks for the listen.